Welcome to the Coronation Conversations podcast series, where we discuss economic, market, growth and development trends, as well as relevant topical themes. My name is Chinwe Egrim, Chief Economist of Coronation Merchant Bank, and I will steer these conversations. Each episode promises to be interesting, and I am confident you will receive insightful nuggets from our discussions. Now let's get started. episode is titled, A Glimpse into the Fiscal Purse. I find conversations around fiscal policy very exciting as it provides insights into, you know, government revenue and expenditure. Now, fiscal policy is a tool that is used to keep the economy healthy. And it is how a government, you know, manages spending and taxation levels in ways intended to influence the economy. Now, one effect of fiscal policy is its ability to change the aggregate demand for goods and services. Um, for example, or let me give you an illustration, fiscal expansion can raise aggregate demand through two approaches. One would be if the government increases its purchases but keeps taxes constant, this should increase demand directly. Another approach is if the government cuts taxes or increases transfer payments, households' disposable income increases, and then this will now result in increased consumption spending. The rise in consumption will in turn raise aggregate demand. Now, another area worth highlighting is that when the government runs a deficit, it meets some of its expenses by issuing bonds. So we have FGM bonds, we have Euro bonds, we have green bonds, there are different types of bonds. In doing so, it competes with private borrowers for money loaned by savers. Now, all things being equal, a terminology that most economists use, um, all things being equal, a fiscal expansion will raise rates or yields. The rise in interest rates due to government borrowing attracts foreign capital or foreign portfolio investments. Now, let me drill into Nigeria. In the 2022 federal government budget, the aggregate expenditure is estimated at about 17.1 trillion naira which is 18% higher than the headline expenditure figure that was released in 2021. In addition, the aggregate amount that was allocated for capital expenditure in this year's budget is um, about 5.96 trillion naira. This year, the budget has an estimated deficit of about 6.39 trillion naira. And then when we conduct our analysis, this comes to about 3.7% of total GDP using 2021 national output figures. And this is slightly above, you know, the 3% ceiling that was set by the Fiscal Responsibility Act or that is set by the Fiscal Responsibility Act uh, 2007. The budget deficit is expected to be financed by foreign borrowings of about 2.6 trillion naira and then domestic borrowings of 2.6 trillion naira as well. There's also privatization proceeds, multilateral and bilateral loans drawdowns as well. When one looks at the debt stock to GDP ratio, 
which currently stands at about 23%, if I approximate it, um, Nigeria is well within range. However, the debt service to revenue ratio remains worrisome. It is incredibly high. My guest today is Taiwo Oyedele. He is a partner and Africa tax leader at PricewaterCooper PwC. We are about to take a deeper dive into the fiscal purse. Thank you so much for joining us today, Taiwo. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let us get into it. Taiwo, my first question is this. How would you measure the effectiveness of Nigeria's fiscal policy in the past five years? That is, in terms of revenue generation, debt sustainability, and um, its impact on economic growth. Would you say that Nigeria has gotten things right? And what would you say Nigeria is struggling with? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I would say it's mixed. Uh, if you're looking at the past five years, probably about 2017, 2018 till date. Um, in that period, we, we were just um, at the time recovering from the 2016 um, recession. And then within this five-year period, we also had another one induced by the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, in some ways, I'll say we made some progress in terms of the fiscal policy uh, space and effectiveness. Some of those are to do with uh, reforms, particularly to the tax system. Uh, we were lucky. We had some provisions in the 2019 Finance Act, which helped us in responding to COVID-19 um, in 2020, especially around how we protect small businesses, the vulnerable people. We had thresholds. Uh, within which small businesses didn't have to charge VAT, for example. And then we also um, have minimum wage exemption, so you didn't have to pay personal income tax if you didn't earn more than 30,000 Naira per month. And then we had some uh, you know, improvements in terms of capacity for fiscal authorities. Uh, and Nigeria also became more active. Uh, globally in terms of um, involvement with the OECD uh, on issues to do with Pillar 1, Pillar 2, without, you know, sounding too technical. This is just the initiative around how do you tap the digital economy. And then we also um, uh, see a lot in terms of trying to mobilize revenue. Um, last year, that's 2021, the FRS said they collected $6.4 trillion which in nominal terms um, is the highest in our history. We've also seen some progress with the sub-national, particularly the state governments, uh, improving their IGR um, to close to about 2 trillion Naira um, as of 2021. So to that extent, I'll say some progress have been made. Uh, but I wouldn't say that I'm going to give us a pass mark, to be honest. Because if you consider the progress we have made uh, with what is really possible uh, on one hand and what we need in terms of our, you know, the size of our public expenditure. So uh, recently when I was looking at this report globally, I think Nigeria was just only ahead in terms of public expenditure to GDP. We're only ahead of about three countries, Haiti. Venezuela, maybe Sudan. So, you know, the kind of countries you don't want to be associated with. Uh, so, to that extent, we could have been more effective. Uh, we could have been more proactive 
uh, rather than being reactive every time. And we could have been more deliberate and intentional in terms of designing the fiscal policy to help stimulate economic growth. Uh, even though we recovered very quickly from the recession, but the growth has been uh, very uh, low and fragile and barely just enough to cover the population growth, which means over the past five years, more people, um, in my estimation, have gotten into poverty than those we have lifted. So net effect is more people uh, are in poverty. So some of the good things we have mm -hmm. done over the past five years, uh, I would say the national task policy, which was introduced in 2017, is a good one. And that has less, led to the Finance Act, which we now uh, introduce every year to try and improve the task system. And the budgetary cycle, you know, just trying to align that with the calendar year of government has also been good. Um, we could have been better with coordination, especially with mm -hmm. fiscal authorities and monetary authorities. You see, the, we struggle with the FX policy. Sometimes you're mixing it all with what you should address with import duties, which is fiscal matter, and, and a little bit more around harmonization. So essentially, uh, this would be my take uh, over the past five years. Mm. Okay, thank you so much for that. I'm, I'm happy that you mentioned subnationals are now boosting their respective um, IGR, that's internal generated revenue, because um, the over-dependence on fact payouts is definitely not sustainable. Uh -huh. You mentioned the Finance Act, uh, so in your view, what three key pillars from the Finance Act can positively impact Nigeria's fiscal purse? Yeah, so, um, you know, it, it's always a difficult thing when you're trying to stimulate growth and at the same time you want to collect more taxes. Uh, it's almost like a, a difficult balancing act. But I think overall, I'll say the three areas where I think that the finance act is able to impact positively uh, on, on the Nigerian fiscal pause, uh, number one. Uh, we've seen some reforms in terms of using technology and tax intelligence. In fact, there's a provision in the 2021 Finance Act enabling the FRS to connect with taxpayers to collect data directly. Uh, so that means the opportunity for whoever wants to game the system to manipulate their records is limited. Number two will be around tax harmonization. So also in the 2021 Finance Act, uh, there was a provision that says the only tax authority for the federal government should be the FRS. And some of us have been advocating for this for quite a while because if you duplicate the revenue collection um, you know, platform or mechanism, you create more inefficiencies. So the taxpayers will pay more, but government will collect less because you have more leakages in between, uh, which is not good for a country like us who desperately need a lot of money and as much as we can get. So I'll say that's another one that is good. The other one is around fiscal discipline. Provisions to particularly target MDAs, uh, government-owned uh, enterprises, ministries, and agencies in terms of their own revenue and how they spend the money and, you know, limit as to how much they can spend and the need for them to remit to the federation accounts and so on and so forth. I think uh, I'll say maybe those three pillars uh, are the ones I can um, think of now. Okay, thank you so much for that. 
you've mentioned key pillars. How about roadblocks? I'm sure there are definitely roadblocks. Um, can you, you know, mention a few that you foresee with regards to execution of this uh, finance act? Yeah, of course, there, there are so many roadblocks, uh, to be honest. I think one is um, you're going to find any time you ask people to pay more taxes, there'll be resistance, especially in a country where fiscal exchange has a big question mark in front of it. Uh, and people would remind you every time that they feel like they're a local government to themselves. Because it's really painful to pay tax anywhere in the world. It's twice as painful when you have to pay that tax and then also perform the functions of the state. Uh, providing water and all of that that I don't want to go into. So resistance by taxpayers uh, will be one. The other one is even, um, ironically, maybe you only find that in Nigeria, is you also find resistance by government-owned enterprises. So we even have on record that agencies like the Revenue Mobilization and Fiscal Allocation Commission has actually gone to court to challenge government uh, because of the provision to say only FRS is the revenue collecting agency. Uh, we've heard NIPOs and customs also complaining. So you have even finding resistance within government about what government is trying to do. Um, and then the other one in terms of roadblocks, I would say is in terms of the capacity and readiness of the authorities to implement what they have introduced in the law. For example, there's a provision to impose uh, excise duties on carbonated, non-alcoholic, and uh, you know, sweetened beverages. And it's meant to be done by the custom service, uh, but they don't even have the infrastructure to implement. Uh, so you see some of the changes haven't been implemented because the government is not even ready and they do not have the capacity. So that's, that's an impediment or a roadblock. And, and the last one I would say is maybe around transition issues. We, we are not the best planners, let me put it that way. So you hear countries like the UK and more recently the UAE, you know, introduce legislation about imposing new taxes that will come into effect in 2023 from June. And they did that beginning of the year. So pretty much telling you 18 months in advance so you can prepare. In Nigeria, we just signed a lot today and it's effective today. In fact, not even today because they signed it and it's not gazetted. And by the time it's gazetted, it's been effective since like two months ago. How do you implement a law like that? So these transition issues, uh, I also think are, are big roadblocks in terms of effectiveness and implementing the Finance Act. Hmm. Um, maybe the other aspect you. to your question is, you know, what can government do about it? You know, I say they just keep engaging and maybe they need to recalibrate recal mm -hmm. and use more data for making decisions and ensure that you give sufficient uh, transition and advance notice for people to just prepare themselves and be able to comply effectively. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. So, Tyro, I find myself having to constantly conduct interlinkage analysis with high oil price and then external reserve levels. We are currently experiencing an elevated oil price regime. And one recurring question that keeps coming up is why isn't this supporting accretions in external reserves? That is expected increase in oil revenue is not being seen in the FX external reserves. Can you please share your thoughts around this? 
Yeah, that's a very interesting question, uh, Shinwe. I think it's um, these are the kind of things, um, you know, the contradictions you don't find in many places, uh, but Nigeria. So as the price of product Bavaria was going up in the international market, uh, oil producing companies were excited and were smiling to the bank. For Nigeria, it was the direct opposite. Uh, we were bleeding. Um, and, and the extent as which, to which we were bleeding was increasing as the price was going up. And the simple way to explain this, maybe two major factors. One is the wasteful subsidy on petrol. So at the height of the pandemic, uh, because the price of crude oil per barrel was very low and the pump price was about the same as the market price of the price of petrol. Uh, so there was no incentive to smoke. At the time, our consumption went down drastically to around 30 million liters uh, per day. Today, we have all manners of estimates, even from BNMPC, uh, some as high as 70 million liters per day. What essentially that means, because I do not think that the consumption by Nigerians have increased by more than 100% in less than one year. So essentially, it's because uh, people smuggle the products to neighboring countries to make money for themselves. And there are some questions as to whether indeed we're importing everything for which we're making claims for subsidy. So essentially what the NMPC is doing is they're doing product swaps. So they just give the crude and say, can you please give us a refined product? And what that means is we're having significant reduction and sometimes no remittances from the NMPC to the Federation account. So the government at all levels are having to rely pretty much on revenue from, from taxes, which is not sufficient for them to, to run the country. So this is one major factor uh, as to why we are not benefiting from the accretion. The second aspect to it uh, is the oil thefts. Oil thefts, particularly uh, in terms of the, uh, you know, the offshore production. So some, some of the players in the industry, the likes of uh, including Tony Elumelu, including Seflat, have even complained that they are losing close to 90%, if not more, of their production. So uh, as the price was going up, the incentive to steal more crude uh, was increasing by people who don't mean well for, for our, our country. And the government is not doing enough, in my own, uh, in my own perspective, to stop this. Uh, even the quota we have from, from OPEC, we are not even meeting the quota when we're at a point with the crisis in Russia, that we could easily find an excuse to even produce more than our quota and the market would be ready to take it. So unfortunately, the combined effect of these issues uh, are the reasons why we're not seeing the accretion to our reserve and by extension, we're unable to defend the Naira and it seems to be uh, losing value, particularly in the parallel market. Well, thank you so much for that perspective. I was scribbling down as you were talking. Thank you so much. Uh -huh. <laughs> so based on recent information from local news wires, and this is as recent as last week, uh -huh. we saw or we've read that President Buhari has requested for an upward revision of the estimated deficit in this year's budget. So I think the expansion is from 6.4 trillion Naira to about 7.35 trillion Naira. And additionally, the full subsidy payment cost for this year is now estimated at about uh, 4 trillion Naira. Initially, I believe estimates that were you know, put out in um, the public domain was about 3 trillion Naira if we consider the supplementary uh, budget of 2.5 trillion Naira. Uh, what are your views around these? 
Yeah, so the way we do budgets in Nigeria, you know, has, um, you know, leaves me seriously concerned every time I think about it. So Nigeria is the country I know, and I don't like to use that phrase, where you find consistently the variance between our budgets and our actuals is always out of this world, uh, almost difficult to explain. Um, so on one hand, even without the problem we have with press subsidies, uh, you see every single time we do a budget and we're so far off, both in terms of revenue, as well as the spending um, in terms of our budget compared to actuals. So the National Assembly, uh, in my view, uh, are part of the problem. So every single time they take the budget submission from the executive and they just you know, move things around as they so desire, not driven by evidence or data, uh, but sometimes even by selfish interest. Everybody wants a project for their constituency. They will then take a very big project and reduce it and then create new projects. I think the president said they added over 6,000 new projects and they reduced the project that the executive submitted to them such that some of them uh, were going to be impossible to implement. So what the president had just done is to say, you know what, I'm going to come back to you and all those projects you had there, you have to please remove them and return the money back to the headings where they were supposed to be. I think that was the basis for the about 965 billion uh, in the supplementary budget. But that's a smaller problem as it turns out to be compared to the subsidy. So originally the provision for the subsidy uh, in the budget was less than a trillion naira. And now they're saying they need an extra three trillion. At the time they had the conversation, the price per barrel was not even close to $100. Now it's 100, it's more than 100 at some point it got to over $130. So government is now asking for more. To be honest, I think government does not know exactly how much we consume because they don't want to find out. Uh, and therefore we don't know exactly how this will end up. I'm worried that in a pre-election year, this can easily be the avenue for some politicians to make a lot of money for themselves to fund their elections and campaigns. Uh, I think the ultimate, I think ultimately the solution that we have to find uh, is how to just remove this subsidy and, and let the market take care of itself, which in my view, I think that would even help, uh, even with inflation. People today, a lot of analysts will say that if you remove first subsidy, inflation will be out of this world. I don't normally agree with that. I disagree for two major reasons. One is, if you, if you look at it from the point of view that about 40% of our FX demand today is going to refined product importation, um, and the fact that about half of that consumption is not actually done by Nigerians, either is done by uh, you know, neighboring countries which benefit smugglers or they're not even products that were imported in the first place. So if you reduce that pressure on our FX demand, what that means is we have more, you know, reserve accretion to defend the Naira. And if the value of Naira to dollar, for instance, is, is better by appreciation, then imported inflation is less. And therefore, you may even find that the overall impact on inflation uh, may be very moderate or minimal or negligible. So having said that, um, the, the other aspect to this is the more we expand the size of this subsidy, 
uh, and revenue from taxes and national resources are not coming in proportionate dimension, the more we have to borrow. The more we have to borrow, the more the pressure on, on uh, government to print money because, you know, I think as of the last time, about 18 trillion uh, Naira has been uh, taken from the CBN by way of uh, ways and means, essentially printing money to spend. And the more you do this, the more you fuel inflation uh, by, by, by extension of, of the implication as well. So overall, I think the way to, to respond to, to your question is, I think we missed the opportunity to deregulate. Uh, in a pre-election year, it's more difficult for politicians to make tough but necessary decisions. Uh, and therefore, we just have to hope that this situation does not get worse before it starts getting better. Hmm. Okay. Now, talking about borrowing, in March this year, that's just last month, the Debt Management Office issued a Eurobond worth um, $1.25 billion. Uh, what is your perspective regarding, one, the timing and the suggested purpose of this issuance? And then also, what do you think about this issuance in relation to our current debt stock? Yes. So our current debt stock is, uh, I think that's at the end of 2021, uh, according to the DMO, Debt Management Office, we were at about 40 trillion um, Naira, which is essentially about $96 billion. And of that, uh, so compared to 2020, that was an increase from around 33 billion, uh, sorry, 33 uh, trillion to 40 trillion. So that's a significant increase in just one year. Um, external component of that was about 40% and domestic about, about 60. Uh, also in a way, the states, sub-national, uh, had about 16% of the entire uh, debt portfolio of the, of the country. Um, if you further disaggregate, out of the external um, debt portfolio, uh, of around uh, close to $40 uh, billion, about $23 uh, billion uh, relates to multilateral and bilateral institutions, and about $15 billion uh, were commercial, including Eurobonds. So that, take, that takes me back to your question. If you now go to the market and you raise $1.25 billion, um, is the timing okay? I think I, I have no issues with the timing because since we're not getting accretion from, from the sale of crude oil, we need to find accretion from whatever means we can find just to make sure that the size of the reserve is sufficient to defend the Naira and not uh, put us into some crisis. But in terms of the purpose, I have my serious reservation. Why on earth would we borrow to pay for subsidy. So it's bad enough that we're not borrowing for a self-financing project. We are also not even borrowing to spend just for the sake of spending. We're borrowing, in my view, to waste. Uh, this is very wasteful, uh, in my view, to borrow to pay subsidy when we have other options that I consider would have been uh, a lot easier. My view that I've shared with government several times is even if you must continue to subsidize, you can have targeted subsidy. If you import petrol today and you dump it into the lagoon, you get the subsidy because the, the trigger point for subsidy payment is importation 
In fact, you may not need to import. You just need to have papers that say you have imported, uh, which was what was happening before, before they asked NMPC to be the sole importer. And we then found out recently when we had the bad, well, that it wasn't even only NMPC importing. So if you um, develop a process to only subsidize those who need subsidy, people like me and you don't need subsidy because we're not the poorest people in Nigeria. Uh, if you do that, you easily reduce the size of the subsidy, in my estimation, by more than 70%. So unfortunately, that's not happening. And therefore, what that means is, um, you know, we may continue to have challenges with the size of our debts. Uh, the composition of the debt. If we are even looking for restructuring, you know, debt forgiveness, you will not find that from commercial borrowing. Nobody buys your euro bond and they're hoping that one day they will forgive you. They won't forgive you. And you dare not default because the consequences will just be, uh, you know, uh, unbearable for everybody, including even the private sector. Very true. <laughs> very, very true. Thank you for that. So my next question really is, this the fgn has always mm. mentioned that nigeria does not have a debt problem but a revenue challenge i think as at november last year the debt service to revenue ratio stood at um about 76 percent so uh, do you think that the amendments in the 2021 finance act are sufficient to assist the fgn in solving its revenue challenges in the near term given that um its purpose is to stimulate inclusive, diversified, and sustained economic growth while ensuring, of course, macroeconomic stability. Um, yeah, on one hand, I don't, I don't entirely buy the argument of we do not have a debt problem, we don't have any challenge. I think it's, it's trying to distinguish between the difference between six and half a dozen. So if if we had enough, uh, you know, revenue, we would not borrow. Uh, but I do think that Nigeria has um, a revenue challenge. I do agree. I also think that Nigeria has a spending problem because if your revenue is even just, uh, you know, 10 trillion uh, federation in a year and you can manage your expenses to fall within 10 trillion, then you will not have a problem to keep borrowing. So we have a, a revenue challenge. We have a spending problem in terms of the priority of what we are spending on. Uh, it's surprising to me that even in the midst of all of these, we're still borrowing to turn around refineries that over the past 10 years, we've spent, you know, close to 1 trillion around and they haven't refined anything. In the past two years, not even a barrel of crude was refined and we're spending more than 100 billion per annum maintaining them. We also have, you know, discussions around, you know, government is going to have some stake in Nigeria. I think they call it Nigeria Air. So this is another priority. Far back 1776, Adam Smith already said, let's government, you know, allow the private sector to do that which they are better placed to do. And it's almost everything apart from social services. And let government do that which the private sector cannot do and take as little as possible from, private, from the private sector in doing so. This is just common sense economics. When we have a philosophy, an economic philosophy of our people are poor, Let's keep everything artificially low. Nothing will happen. That's why there's no electricity today. You are artificially trying to keep everything uh, affordable to the extent that it's no longer commercial. And therefore, the supply is not there, even though there's demand. So I, I do think that um, 
while I'm not particularly worried about the debt to GDP ratio, I take the view that that's not even the, um, you know, that's not the uh, measurement we should be focusing on. We should be focusing on one, the debt service ratio to our revenue, which at some point was as high as 76. At some point, it was close to 90%. That clearly is not sustainable. The second thing we should be focusing on is the net financial position of Nigeria. Um, if you borrow for a productive purpose that is self-financing, uh, you're actually better off because your net financial position goes up. But if you borrow for wasteful, wasteful spending or things you cannot account for, then your net financial position goes down. If government stops telling us about debt to GDP ratio being low and below the benchmark uh, and start telling us whether net financial position is improving or not, plus whether our debt service ratio to revenue ratio is decent, then I'll feel comfortable. If we cannot explain those two factors uh, in a compelling and convincing manner, then I have my concerns about sustainability because what it means is that at the current level, we cannot continue to do what we're doing or we'll be in big trouble as a country. Um, so I think the other dimension to your question is whether you know the Finance Act can help in solving some of these problems in yeah. the near term. I think the Finance Act uh, can only just do um, you know, a little. It can't really move the needle in terms of helping with our financial situation, our debts and our revenue uh, issues. Uh, because on one hand, uh, the economy is the struggling households and, and businesses don't have the means uh, to be able to contribute significantly to government revenue. I do think that where governments can make more money from is by getting people who are evading taxes. So these people have means, these companies have abilities, but they're not paying the right amount. So if you try and focus on getting everybody to do the right thing, uh, even without introducing new taxes or raising the rate of existing taxes, then you're likely to make a lot more uh, in, in that regard. And on one hand, also, government has to be using data to do the analysis. Um, the capital gains tax on shares uh, recently introduced. Um, you know, I was doing some analysis with the capital market, and when they gave me the data, we, we just realized that even on a good year, like 2020, I believe, when the market returned about 50%, government would have made about 25 billion naira if this law had been introduced as of the time. So why introduce the law that creates so much negativity in terms of, because if you want to explain to investors before, we just, we, we told them there's no capital gains on shares. They just want to buy. Now, when you're saying actually there's capital gains, as well, they just go to their books and put their capital gains tax. Uh, so, uh, and the amount of money you are raising is not really significant. Uh, so overall, uh, the Finance Act would help in terms of reform, which will not be immediate, such as the use of technology, tax intelligence, automation, um, but not immediately in terms of generating significant revenue to fund the budget. Hmm. Thank you so much for that. Now, before I let you go, I have to ask you this question. In your view, what role would electioneering play in the implementation <laughs> in the implementation of this year's uh, budget? 
Yeah, you know, Nigerian politicians uh, seem to not know how to multitask. Uh, and in terms of priority, everything will, come, will become secondary when you are talking about elections. They just want to get reelected if they are already um, in power, or otherwise they want, you know, their proteges and whoever it is to succeed them, and, and that becomes their preoccupation. So the whole of 2022, uh, unfortunately, and half of 2023, the priority of politicians would be electioneering. Uh, and therefore, what you would see is what I call politics over policy. So they will prioritize politics and politicking. And even when they want to do anything in terms of policies, uh, they will tell you a story that looks nice uh, for political narratives, but if we if you interrogate it behind those policies, it will be politics. Uh, somebody will tell you want to do social transfer, but actually what they're trying to do is to try and buy votes. Uh, or they tell you want to build bridges, uh, they want to commission everything, even those that are not ready. Uh, some of them not done well, uh, just to have the photo ops that they can use for, for campaign. Unfortunately, this is our reality uh, for this year. And, and I think it's also the, the fact that in a pre-election year, politicians will struggle to make necessary decisions. Uh, decisions that are good economically, but are not uh, popular, uh, will be just be like, you know, uh, you know, pushing them until another time. Uh, so unfortunately, the overall impact is, you know, electioneering would impact the economy uh, from a fiscal perspective negatively. You see more spending, so you may see increase in GDP, uh, because when politicians, you know, buy votes and they give money to a lot of poor people, they don't save it, they just use it to spend, they, they consume. So you may find impact, marginal increases in GDP, but other than that, uh, nothing else is positive. They're going to hit up the foreign exchange market. Uh, for example, the rate of, you know, Naira to dollar is, is going to likely further depreciate because they have a lot of money and they are buying dollars uh, at almost any price. Uh, that's that's the way I see the uh, election pre-election year 2022 playing out in terms of the impact on government budgets as well as the economy uh, as a whole. Thank you so much for that. Fiscal policy remains incredibly important for every economy. Proper fiscal injections support economic growth. Dynamics within the fiscal landscape also influence indicators like inflation and the exchange rate, as we have discussed. Taiwo, thank you so much for sharing from your extensive bank of knowledge. I am confident that each listener will soak in multiple valuable nuggets. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening. Be sure to look out for the next episode. In the meantime, reflect on the insightful nuggets you received and don't forget to share the coronation conversations across your network. You can listen to our pod series by visiting www.coronationmb.com or on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Spreaker, and Player FM.